0: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 103 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app right now so you don't miss any of the big-name guests I've got lined up for you with new VRP Rocks episodes dropping every Monday. And you only need to take a quick scroll back to see some of the legendary guests I've had on the show in recent times, including Steve Vai, Joe Bonamassa, Peter Frampton and Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds. And there's many more as well, just to realise the calibre of guests that we get on here. So make sure you go on there and subscribe right now. Well, today's guest is another top guitarist, a Dutchman, who first struck big with his self-titled band in the 80s, scoring hit records and singles in the US before joining David Coverdale and Whitesnake just as the 1987 explosion happened for the band. He spent 13 years with the group, having his own personal ups and downs. I am, of course, talking about the brilliant Adrian Vandenberg. And in this interview, we hear some fun stories from him, going right back to his early band, Teaser trying to make it big in Holland when rock was not popular. He shares a fascinating story of how he was close with ACDC and happened to be the one who introduced Angus Young to his wife. We hear about the Vandenberg days, how Coverdale tried to hit on his girlfriend the first time they met. Of course, we hear all about his time in Whitesnake and how he joined and the crazy success as well. He also talks about the accident that left him unable to record the follow-up album to that successful 1987 release and what it was like watching Steve Vibe drafted him to replace him he's got a new record out now with his own band that's done really well on the dutch charts i think he got to number two so plenty of great stories as ever as you'd expect from a vrp rocks interview quick word of warning though adrian is obviously dutch and speaking in a second language so it's not always the clearest line but you can still make it out okay also if you're a fan of White Snake then please do check out the recent interviews with Steve Vai episode 95, Doug Aldrich episode 102 and Joel Hugstra on episode 91. They all share stories from their time with David Coverdale and White Snake so they're all well worth a listen. So here we go. Let's enjoy this a fun interview with a great guitarist himself, Adrian Vandenberg now i want to take you right back to one of your very early bands teaser now i heard a story that promoters used to try and pass you off as bad company T- tell us all about uh, this <laughs> yeah it was
2: um we we played quite a lot on an um, uh, american air force uh bases in north germany i was 19 or something i was still in art um, university i was 20 or something mm-hmm. it was just the four of us no road crew you know we should, we took our own equipment in the, in the back of a port transit and Taking turns of who was who had to sit in between the uh, equipment. Yeah, we used to do it a lot, and then, so um, we played on these American bases. And one time, um, the promoter apparently um, announced us as that company. Now, our singer looked very much like Paul Rogers, and he actually sounded quite a lot like Paul Rogers. And we played quite a lot of uh, that company and free material, but we weren't them, you know. So. We only realized that later on, um, when the curtains went open, first of all, there was quite a culture shock because the local promoter made a mistake of which band plays, played on which, uh, party because there was one party like the, the big cheeses with, uh, with all the medals and stuff. The other party was for the soldiers. Mm-hmm. So accidentally, they put, they put us on a party with all the, the colonels and, and the majors and, uh, someone some like, Stupid wedding band uh, on 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 the other one, so that must have been gone down pretty seriously. In our case, you know, and it only showed how much uh, people were ready for um for a party because the, uh, when the curtains opened, people were shocked that they they didn't know who was that company anyway, you know, because you know they were the high-ranking officers and stuff. So that was one point for us. The other one was. But first, of course, we we started with uh, Can't Get Enough, the legendary but company hit song. So um, they looked in shock, you know, jaws were hitting the floors and they go, what the fuck is this? A couple of hairy guys, you know, making a lot of noise. But after the first song, we decided, "Okay, this is what it is. We're uh, going to make a party anyway, no matter what happens. So they spent the evening dancing quite awkwardly to uh, to rock. (laughs) And it, it was a very entertaining sight from the stage, you know, but. They had a great time, and, and we had a, a very unusual experience. So um, those were nights, man. I mean, you, you would start packing your stuff back into the van around 1 o'clock, one thirty something, right back for six, seven, eight hours. I was usually just in time to go straight to uh, Academy of Arts where I was um, studying, you know. So I don't think I could do that again now, you know, no. without it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the sort of thing you do when you're young, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned there uh, being a big fan of Free and, and things like that. Who what, what were your inspiration then when you were younger?
2: They were definitely an inspiration. It, it started um, with uh, Stevie Winwood, when we was still with yeah. um, the legendary Spencer Davis group. Uh, when I heard "Give Me Some Loving on the radio, I thought, I got to get that record, you know. And and very soon, uh, Free, that company, Hendrix, Cream, La Jappelin, uh, the American Band Mountain, um, UFO, Rainbow, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, uh, mentioned it already, um, Humble Pie, you know, all the, all the British stuff is, is like 98% of my influences. And you can actually call ACDC a British band because um, they were originally from, I think, from Scotland, weren't they? And Bon was, bon yeah, G- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bon was. I actually spent some time with Bon when um, that band teaser that we just talked about. You we were a supporter of ACDC in the last tour of uh, Bandeira with the Hell Tour. Oh, wow. Which is also where where I put uh, Angus and a Dutch wife together.
0: Ah, well, there you she go. Was a friend of,
2: yeah, she was in my circle of friends and uh, I knew her very well. And she uh, she asked me, oh, can you please put me on the guest list? You know, we were playing in uh, Nijmegen in Holland. In I said, yeah, I'm going to try, you know, but we support that. So I don't know if we have a right to do that. And then. Apparently, it worked because um, I, th- I told uh, the, the bodyguard that they had, my, that this huge guy in front of the dressing room. I said, man, uh, with a bit of luck, if three very tall, blonde, that, that girls sh- going to show up, they're a guest of mine. And wouldn't it be kind of fun if she kind of throw them into the dressing room or, or something, you know? I was actually joking, but uh, it, it, it sounded like it did because I heard quite some noise. Um, And I didn't talk to Ellen uh, for a while until she called me up in our uh, hangout, where we usually saw each other with a circle of friends on on, on Friday. And the phone rang um, at some point, and and the barkeeper, well, pre-mobile phones, barkeeper said, Adrian, there's a phone for you. I go, oh, I hope my parents are okay, you know, different city. Hey, Adrian, it's Ellen. Yes, where I am. I said, I don't know, you know, I'm in Paris. I go, great, you know, having a holiday. <laughs> no, I'm with Angus. I go, what? I'm with Angus and I'm not going to be back for a long time. So that was it. And they got married. And uh, one of their houses is in, in my neighborhood. Uh, well, my neighborhood, about 40 minutes away from where I live in, in Holland. Wow. So they're still together. And it's lovely to see that, you know, because as we know, uh, rock marriages usually never last that long.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, what was it like being around ACDC at that time? Because they were they were fairly new on the new on the scene, weren't they? And they were blowing up and and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. We had a DJ
2: in Holland uh, called Alfred, <laughs> and he was like a serious rock fan. He had a rock show on Dutch radio, uh, and it was the only rock on Dutch radio. Actually, it was um, two hours. It was called, uh, literally translated, the the concrete show because concrete, you know. Yeah. So. Um, It was all live rock and uh, great stuff, you know. And he actually, um, man, he got a bunch of great tracks from that era to the number one spot on Dutch radio. Uh, One of them was um, Holler the Rosie. He played it and he played it and he played it. And, you know, people were susceptible to it because he kept playing it. In in his two-hour show, sometimes he played it several times. And the same thing he did with uh, Running with the Devil with Van Eyelen. Wow. Um, with um, a lot of Toto songs. He loved Toto as well. Yeah, um, And uh, he passed away years ago, uh, Golden Earring and I jammed oh. um, on his the party to celebrate his life. I knew him very well. He was instrumental in my teaser band because yeah. um, when he was a di- the DJ in that um, rock show, it was his show, um, I was studying at the uh, art academy in Ireland, uh, in Ireland, in and Somebody told me where I lived. So I took a demo and I, I just rang at the door and I said, would you please listen to this? And he was, I went, I took a demo everywhere to every record company and it said, well, it's rock. You know, rock is not suitable for Holland. And people want, want to hear that stuff on the radio. And and Alfred actually um, got us a record deal with a label um, of, of a guy who dared to sign us. And, and things went really well. We played a lot in... Germany, Belgium, and Holland for about C seventy seven till um, eighty one, and then I changed it into Vandenberg, basically. Absolutely,
0: and then we get to Vandenberg, and we talk about people signing you. Phil Carson is a man that I hear a lot about. I spoke to D Schneider recently as well, and singing his praises and things like that. So, so how did you attach uh, attract the attention of of Phil?
2: Well, um my manager at the at, at the time uh, was the most famous Dutch rock journalist, Kay uh, Barth, and then um, he dated a uh, uh, secretary for a while. <laughs> and so um, uh, he said, you know what, Kees uh, uh, and I, my manager and I, uh, talked about, we're going to send demos to everybody and, and, and anybody from labels that we like, that do rock. I sent uh, the demo to Chrysalis because UFO wasn't crystalis And Kay um, said, well, you know I'll send it to Atlantic because I know somebody over there. So, And fortunately, um, their date uh, went okay. When they split, uh, they didn't like an ugly one because um, she she made sure that um, it was on Phil's desk together with, uh, like on top of the pile, so to speak. So Phil listened to it. He called me up right away. Actually, he first called my mom uh, in the middle of the night because he was in America or something. And he wanted to see a show, but we didn't have any shows yet, you know? It was just the first demo, and um, so I hired uh, the local theater in my hometown, and I hired uh, equipment and, and lighting and all the stuff, and invited film. But it turned out to be quite, um, quite a situation, because it was in the middle of the winter, so we had all set up, you know, all the equipment and stuff, and the stage full of um, of, of marshals and, and stuff that we put loan from other people, uh, because we didn't have that much ourselves. And so it looked pretty serious, and then, well, no fill, you know, you're supposed to be around there like, like 3 o'clock, 3.30, no fill, 4 o'clock, no fill, 4.30, no fill. So the guy started going, oh, it's and again, you now he always has those stories, you know, uh, ambitions, and big plans, and this is all, and nothing, you know, I go, guys, you know, I talk to the guy, seriously, okay, okay, well, Exactly at the, the next half hour, uh, there was banging on the door downstairs in the, the theater was empty, of course, and we were on the first floor in a, in a smaller part of the theater. And um, so one of the, of the roadie guys who helped us, they were basically friends, they went not really roadie. Yeah. but he went down and it was still at the door and it appeared, um, there was a, a peck of snow and um, it appeared, first of all, his, his plane was delayed, of course, because of the snow. And then he, he had to drive all the way to the east part of Holland, which is two hour drive, but with that snow, it was a lot longer. And of course, you know, he rented the uh, he got a limo, so the limo didn't didn't go that fast, you know. So he was way way late. And well, he came in, I shook everybody's hands, and said, Adrian, you know, just just pretend I'm a huge crowd." So <laughs> we sat in the middle of the theater, and we played three or four songs, and he said. Well, great. Um, Adrian, um I'd like you to come with me uh, to Hilversum, and uh, because he had a meeting with um, the Dutch um, uh, affiliate of uh, yeah. WEA, which was Warner Brothers Electra and Atlantic, and it was funny because we entered the room and he started cursing at all the Dutch people over there, and saying, "You suckers! You lunatic! This guy is Dutch. I am signing him for the world. You guys." didn't even know. Uh, well, yeah, rock doesn't go very well in Holland. Oh, uh, oh yeah, are you, are you sure about that? Because ACBC um, um, and Van Halen are number one hits in the last couple of years, you know? What are you talking about? You suck, I don't know anything. I was embarrassed. I like, go, oh, shit. Because <laughs> they were one of the companies where I personally went with a cassette tape Would you, uh, would you want to listen to that? and you speak for them, you know, to listen. And and they said, yeah, you know, difficult, you know. Well, kill it was like a tirade of, of about i would say at least 10 minutes and they were like <laughs> little school boys you know caught with end and told off Yeah. yes sir yes sir yes sir
0: <laughs> oh hilarious i love that and then from that point you, you recorded your first album and you, you managed to do that in uh, jimmy page's studio man how was that
2: yeah <laughs> that was amazing because that was the first time i met jimmy he uh one of the times he came down to the studio we uh he came down in a helicopter for impressive, court. And to my surprise and shock, he was as tall as iron. Uh, I am. I'm almost two meters. And so Jimmy, I always assume because he, he was so skinny, you know, that he was like a like a, a small guy, but it was great, you know, and he uh, he was enthusiastic about the stuff and yeah, go on guys, go on, everything fine. And one of the nights, the first night actually, I, I looked around the studio I to see if I could find the guitar of his and touch it and <laughs> Look at his amplifiers and all the stuff, yeah. you know, legendary kid. So I uh, I found the tape room and I saw all the 24 tracks of all those legendary uh, Led Zeppelin tracks, even 12 tracks, you know, and like a, a couple of those really big tapes, you know, of uh, "Stairway to Heaven." Oh, wow. uh, all of those legendary Zeppelin songs. I was in man, this was like the holy of the holy of. Um So I just was there in total awe and. I guess it inspired me, you know, um, work, working with the, the engineer that, that work, works with Jimmy as well. So, right before us, uh, Bill, um, Bill was from the Stones. Uh, what, what's his name again? Bill Wyman. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he just, right before us, he finished the solo album. One of the solo albums where he had the hit single, and just, reason a rock star. And the stories are great. The engineer said, man, you know, he was a serious womanizer for pretty young girls, you know. Said, in the morning, oh, no. in the morning, like a runner, I had to take uh, one girl to the airport and wait for the other one to arrive, and take this one back to, um, to the studio. And that's how it went every day. So it was a pretty um, virile, horny bachelor. This uh, Bill Lyman guy, man. Jeez, <laughs> wow! But Jimmy, yeah, meeting Jimmy, of course. I met him uh, a couple of times after that. Over the years in the White Times, you know, I spent some time with him there every once in a while in one in Tokyo, I remember. But, you know, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan, you know, so I really try to keep my cool.
0: Yeah, I'd be like a school, a school kid, you know? <laughs> oh, incredible to meet someone like Jimmy. Absolutely. And um, that record was a huge success, top 100 in, over in America, uh, huge singles in that. I mean, how did that feel then? You guys coming from the Netherlands, as you said, and rock wasn't the big thing, but you went over to America and you cracked it and you, you're doing these huge things. How did that feel for you guys?
2: Yeah, it was amazing. You know, it, it, uh, everybody can imagine. We The first tour we did was uh, supporting Michael Schenker in, in, in England. Yep. Which was already great, you know, because he played the legendary Rainbow Theater, where, you know, I've got uh, Tim Lizzie live at the Rainbow, all those bands, you know, live at the Rainbow. So, oh, fuck, man, it's going to be great. So that was already great. And then going um, to the States, uh, the first tour was supporting Aussie. And I never seen venues that big. with like 20,000 people, you know. you go, Oh shit. Uh, it, said it was like a serious adventure. And Burning Heart uh, being a hit, which I never would have thought, because I wrote it pretty quickly um, because I thought it would be cool to have a ballad on the album, you know? I love ballads uh, with the combination of acoustic and electric. Mm-hmm. Um, probably inspired by Jimmy Page, I suppose. Um, thinking about it now, I never really realized it, actually. It probably is. And, and free, of course, the company and all the great stuff. So, um, yeah, it, it was like um, something I would never have imagined, you know, because... Um, We had two bands that managed to break out of Holland in all those years, and they were Golden Earring with Raider Love, a song Everybody Knows. It was top five in England, I think. And um, uh, Focus, legendary, one of the first real prog bands. And they were huge in in England and and in the States for three years or something because clashing of the egos between Jan Ackerman, the phenomenal guitar player. Um, Every time when I run into uh, Brian May, he asked me, "So, how's Jan Ackerman doing?" You know, and uh, Brian told me that um, he said, man, you know, when Focus hit the scene in England, all the all the the, the top musicians of, of, in England went went out to look to check them out, and they were all quite frustrated because you know Ackerman was way ahead of his time mm-hmm. as a guitar player, as a rock player. And funny thing was that." Um, a uh, couple of years later, I read an interview with John Bonham, of Hogwarts, my favorite drummer, uh, whose favorite drummer isn't um, he, uh, and they said, well, you yeah, know, everybody considers you the best rock drummer in the world, and the drummers that you think, are, you know, that you really like. He said, well, yeah, I like, I really appreciate uh, Pierre van der Linden from the band Focus. So, hey, by May, John Bonham. It okay. could be worse. So those bands bro- broke out of Holland before Vandenberg, and that's, that's it. You know, after us, there's one band that does pretty well, I think, uh, with Temptation, which is more of a prog band with a female singer. Uh, I think they do pretty well. But um, personally, to be honest, I don't really consider that the kind of rock that we're talking about now. You know, like four guys making mm-hmm. some serious noise on a stage because they have so many those kind of bands have so many backing tracks going on with choirs and violins and God knows what you know that whenever I see one of those bands I don't know if if they're actually playing on stage you know because <laughs> you hear so many things you go whoa, whoa, whoa. where's that from you know you're here you're so 10 people singing and there's 2 people by a microphone so it's quite it's a little weird
0: it is very weird. And that's kind of the hot topic at the moment as well, isn't it? Whether people are playing live or not. I mean, what's your take on that, the whole kind of um, music being played off tape while performing live?
2: Well, uh, to a certain extent, I, um, when it's done um, in in a pure purest way, I can kind of um, see the, the use of it. Uh, I I don't agree with bands that have like all the backing vocals and, and and, and all these layers of keyboards and, and even the guitars and bass and drums, you know. I've seen bands that are really popular in Holland, pretty much have ninety on, percent on tape or on 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 hard And at one of the festivals, the most popular band at the time, uh like about four or five years ago here in Holland, um there were two teenage girls standing in front of me and I, I heard them talk to each other. Wow, they sound just like the record. I couldn't resist. Them tipping them on a shoulder, I you go, know, what you're hearing is the record. No, no, because they're on stage. I, I go, yeah. So there are a few bands that are like a four-piece, like extreme, for instance. They have like a minimal touch of a keyboard here and there. And, and I talk, I know Nuno, you know, and, and we talked about it. Because, um, and he, he said, yeah, you know, we have in 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 three to four songs. We have a touch of keyboard on the record. He says, in order to do that live, you would you would bring a keyboard guy and tell him, you know, don't do anything uh, in in about sixty percent of the record uh, or of the repertoire, and come out for those uh, three songs, you know. So in a case like that, I can I, I can totally imagine that it. Makes sense. On. It's not bad, especially when you play the part yourself, which is what I did, you know. And it's basically an extension of what you do. And I remember in the 70s, um elected light orchestra did it because they only had like three or four people on stage playing a string hands, man. Yeah. But live, you're a, a complete orchestra. So they got caught with a real paper recorder backstage and the promoter didn't want to pay him. He said, man, this is not live. I'm paying you for a live band. So there was a, uh, was a lawsuit and all the crap, you know. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. in vandenberg's third album things have kind of gone a bit off the boil hadn't they, for the band and david coverdale had approached you a couple of times previously to join white and you, you it hadn't been the right time for you so so when had he approached you before and, and why wasn't it quite right at that point for you uh
2: the very first time was um the first vandenberg album wasn't even released i think okay um so i assume you heard the demo at uh kill and and um it was Utre- and then uh, he invited me to come to the show in Utrecht. And uh, backstage, you know, he said, So uh, uh, how about White Whitesnake? And at the same time we tried to uh, to charm my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> and she said, Who is the man? <laughs> I said, No, it's he's like one of the most greatest singers ever, you know, but I couldn't do it. I told a man, you know, just recorded my fifth album on I, I can't let Shaw sure carson down I can't let the guys down I can't do it you no know? I, I would love to so we stayed in touch and um uh he asked me again uh when day happened like Donington in 1983 mm-hmm. that I was recording the second album with Jimmy Page studio I was in a crowd so um that was uh, I said man you know <laughs> bad timing again let's stay in touch you know sooner or later like timing is gonna come up and that was at the end of eighty-six. Uh, when I got invited by um, John Kolodnik to come to the States to talk about a new contract for Vandenberg. But he wanted to put a new lineup together in LA with Top Class Musicians, because he didn't like the rest of the lineup. And he said, well, I got another proposition for you, well, I would really like you to join Whitesnake. And I said, oh, sounds familiar. <laughs> and then uh, I said, you know, please give me one or two days to think about it, because it didn't involve just me, but also people who were crushing them, me, and I'm a management guy in the band, and I, um, he said, oh, why are you here, you know, would you mind uh, making a new guitar arrangement and play a solo, and here I go again, because he didn't like the version that John Sykes did at the time. He described it as um, a heavy metal band playing a country western song. So it was pretty funny. But um, so I did, and um, then I thought, man, I'm never going to find a senior David uh, Calibre, of course, you know, so I thought this is the right time, so I joined.
0: Incredible, and you talk about the right time in there, and you joined just for that kind of whole explosion of that 1987 album. I mean, they were, they were they were huge here in Europe already, I mean, David Coverdale, it was, it was bluesy yeah. rock and huge across Europe and things like that, but the 1987 album really catapulted White Snake into the stratosphere in America, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it did, it was unbelievable, you know. I was, I had to pinch my arm every morning, uh, to make sure that, that, was, that it was real. Um, and I was ready for it. You know, we toured the uh, United States twice with Vandenberg. Rand- uh, first time, uh, a special guest to Aussie, the second time, a special guest to Kiss. So I had played those venues already. And, but you know, with a band like Whitesnake, with David singing my, you know, one of my all time favorite uh, vocalists and Tommy Olberts and Rudy Sarzo, who I met. Tommy was playing uh, with Ozzy when we were uh, sporting. And uh, when we started headlining in the tour, um, Rudy was supporting us with quite Riot. So I knew Rudy and Tommy already. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Vivian, I met him once and thought he was a great player, you know. Yeah. So um, we got on great. The, the vibe in the band was great, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, play that to Soul Out Arena and Stadium every night. You know, I can't beat it. Yes. So yeah, it was an amazing time. And, um, for me, it lasted 13 years up, up to 1999, so it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, and then you helped to write uh, all the songs on the follow-up album, didn't you, The Slip of the Tongue, but uh, you yeah. didn't actually get to play on the record because of injury, so what happened there?
2: Yeah, I had a wrist injury, and uh, at the time, nobody could figure out uh, what happened. I mean, initially, it looked like I was doing exercises with my wrist to keep them loose. The, I bought a little book that I exercise as a piano player, because um, my wrist started feeling a little stiff every once in a while. And I assumed it was because of practicing too much or something. Um years later, I found out it was the result of a car crash I was involved in in 1981 mm-hmm. or 82. And I was hit by a car from the back. So I, I developed a whiplash. I had um, a lot of pain in my neck for about, about three, four weeks. And then the pain kind of went away. But um, in 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 nineteen eighty nine, and then another see nineteen ninety nine, um, I found out I went uh, one more time to uh, to um, a newer surgeon, and he said, "Man, were you ever involved in a in car accident or any other accident?" And I said, "No, I don't think so. I forgot about it, you know, um, because." Um, he showed me, um, like an a, 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 an x ray. Mm-hmm. He said, you have two neck hernias who press against a nerve that, um, kind of steer your index finger in your thumb. So making all the little movements and at the same time holding the, the pick in place, yep. uh, that, be, that had, had become the problem. So, um, <laughs> I had two operations in, uh, in the United States, removing those neck hernias, but it never really came back. So uh, over the years, I a um, uh, different techniques. Actually, the last two years, basically, um, so I, I started doing that about six years ago. Slowly, but surely, changing between my pick and using my nails as a pick. Oh, yeah. And right now, I basically only play with my nails. Ah. And I get I'm get, I'm getting away with it because I I play what what, what I feel,
0: so it's fine, you know. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, that must have been kind of hugely frustrating for being part of that band and and coming up with the songs, but not actually being able to record at that point.
2: It was. It really was. And it really took it took a while, especially when I heard Steve's parts. And uh, he's an amazing player, as we all know. Uh, but it suddenly sounded so different than how I, how yeah. I heard it in my head. It took it took a while to get used to it. And uh, at the same time, I, thought, man, I couldn't play. So how great is it that the people, the, the, the guy of Steve Skeller plays my songs, you know? So I gave a positive twist to the whole frustration, and then I was ready to play right on time to join the tour, yeah. and after getting treatment for like six, seven months in all, and then every once in a while on that on that tour, uh, once or twice a week, I made sure I went to a physical therapist to you know to, to make sure that. Um, Shoulders were still loose enough because all those mu- muscles were really tense because of the accident. Still, and yeah, your body also uh, develops a different way of coping with it. Like, for instance, when somebody breaks their leg, yeah, the other leg takes over yeah. m- much of, the, um, of, the, of the, the pressure. In my case, after that uh, injury, um, for between 81 and basically 89. Um, my body got used to put too much pressure on my right-hand arm because your brain thinks, I got to get it, I got to do it, I got to do it, you know, so um, I got used to to too to, to much tension in that arm, so I really had to focus over the years to let it go, you know, keep it in the leg and all that shit, so... I'm still here, and they're not going to
0: get rid of me uh, very easily. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. And just quickly touching on David, I mean, you've mentioned him a few times. He He's a huge star. He's got a great voice, a big personality. But but what was he like to, to work with then?
2: It was great. Um, uh, we hit it off right away uh, when I was in LA for those uh, recording and for the talks about joining Whitesnake. And we stayed in touch and um, on the phone, whatever. But so since I joined... Uh, We became very good friends. Up to this day, we still are. Um, We see each other. Sometimes it's like two years in between, and sometimes it's it's quicker. You know, but then I'm definitely going to see him this year. Yeah, it it, it was it was uh, surreal the first, especially the first show. But the first show because one of my favorite vocalists, you know, belting out night after night. I mean, every night he was singing like on the records. You know, it was amazing. No wonder, you know, the, his voice um, uh, got quite uh, quite some. Yeah. Over the years, of course, you know, he wear it down a little bit. So, yeah. David gave, uh, always gave it all. No wonder his voice, uh, you know, worn down a little bit. But he still got it, you know. I mean, David put so much soul into a scene that it always translates, you know, whether, it, whether it's not as high-pitched as it was in the 80s. Who cares, you know? I mean, Prince Sinatra and Elder sang, sang all the way to the last day, Bon Scott did, all those guys did, you know? And so the David, only David's style is very demanding, especially since the 87 album, because before that, you know, he sang more bluesy. He didn't do yeah. the screaming that much, uh, unless, in, for instance, uh, Slow and Easy, you know, he went a little bit more into that right direction. <laughs> but then, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it was great. And playing with heroes like, um, like, Tommy I mean, we always legendary, you know, Louis yeah. Chargeau became one of my all time best friends. And, um, Vivian, you know, from the stint there in, in, in you No, know, it was great. Every night was fantastic. Brilliant stuff. So, Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Quite some, uh, quite some, um, uh, experience.
0: Indeed, indeed. And you worked with the band for many years, as you said, there was Restless Heart as well in 97, and you released music with Vandenberg and Moon Kings and things like that. And that kind of brings us to, to now, because hot off the press, brand new release, the, the recent album from Vandenberg, Sin. So what can fans expect from it if they've not heard it yet?
2: Uh, if they know the 2020 album, I went one notch up, uh, in the in the words of uh, Nigel Tovnell from Final Tabs. <laughs> I went to eleven, went to 11, 11 yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it it's it's absolutely heavier. It sounds much it sounds like like how we sound live, basically, you know? You wear really loud guitars, big sounds, really thundering drums and much as amazing vocals. I mean, you know, in the States when we when we play the, the Snake stuff that always me, I was involved in. I saw several jaws hitting the floor because you know, when we'll, we we'll, we'll play Still of the Night or Here We Go Again, you know, much does an amazing job. <clears throat> and he, he has his own style, you know, Coppedale obviously was one of his influences, but so is a little plant and Ronnie Dio, you know, like any singer of his generation. So, um it's just great to play those, those songs because, like I said, I'm also a fan, you know, so when we play the stuff that, that I played for 13 years or 12 years with White Snake, it's great to be able to play him again, you know. It, it's, it's like one of the most well the most, the most most important period of my career as a musician because it was top of what you can achieve, I suppose, you know?
0: Adrian, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. We look forward to uh, listening to the music and, and seeing you back out on the road as well. That'd be fantastic.
2: Man, me too. I, I can't wait because that's what, what I want to do, you know, being on the road. I, I, I like recording for about two weeks and then I get fed up with it. I want to get on the road. I want to make noise. I want to see the smiling faces of the people and I want to see the, all the fists, the fists up in the air, you know. So I'm really looking really forward to it. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, I can't wait to hit Scotland, really, man.
0: Excellent.
2: It's, um, I, I hope we, we, we uh, well, actually, yeah, we were going to do one or two Scottish gigs. Well, I hope so. Uh, everybody who listen, please come down, you know, let's, like, let's rock, rock our brains out and um, everything will be good in the world
0: absolutely brilliant it's been a pleasure chatting with you adrian thank you so much same here man take care thank you very much bye bye there you go the brilliant adrian vandenberg there please do check out his new album sin it's a fantastic record rocking hard indeed i hope you enjoyed that interview as much as i did and if you're a fan of white remember to check out the past interviews i've done with likes of steve Vai, doug aldridge and joel hoekstra all sharing stories from their time in the band as well But that's it for me and this week's VRP Rocks. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app so you get all the episodes, loads more great guests and brilliant stories to come over the next few weeks. Please leave VRP Rocks a five-star review on the podcast app that you use. It makes a big, big difference. It really does. And check out VRP Rocks on YouTube as well. Loads of brilliant videos for you to enjoy in the community tab as well where I post a new poll every single day. Brilliant stuff for classic rock fans. A big thanks to you for interacting as always, each week, whether it's on social media or by email, I try to get back to every single person that reaches out to me. So a big thank you. So until next week's episode then, take care.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.